0: Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube, drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. G'day everyone, this is episode 119. 119 if you prefer of Goes PC, and as always, I am your host, RebelsN, aka Danny Hale, and yes, we're a few days delayed, you're gonna have to bear with me, because basically life and stuff gets in the way right now, and uh, we've got a lot of aggressive magpies and pigeons and crows having meetings in the garden, I have to go down every morning in, uh, I'd say PJs, but it's more like a bear suit, you know, because I sleep in, you know, like a football mascot, and I have those big suits. That's how I sleep. Uh, I just tend to like prop myself against the wall and sleep like that. We're, we're in a tree house. There's no real furniture, you know. So I thought, well, I saw this old abandoned bear suit uh, in the forest. And I thought, well, you know, that's a bed in itself. So that's how I usually sleep. And in the morning, I have to go outside and scare all the magpies, the pigeons and the crows away have been getting quite cheeky due to the pandemic. I think they've got used to having the world back a bit, you know, when things quieten down. So you're seeing this different behavior, patterning birds, and they they have full-on meetings in the morning. And the crow, who's huge, kind of more like a raven, is the boss, basically. So they, they all work for him, uh, delivering messages, because, uh, you know, living in a forest, you don't really have... Too many people use an internet, so it's kind of like Twitter with actual tweets, because all your messages are delivered by birds. So that's interesting, that's been happening here. I hear that Wynn is, well she sent me a message earlier via Pigeon, took a long time, took a week, so it's a bit delayed, so I'm not sure what she's doing in real time, but as far as last week, I know she was saying something about hopping islands, so I think she's discovered Animal Crossing, I'm not sure uh but that's what she's doing she's doing all right as far as i can tell hong kong's treating her well it's probably been interesting for her to be back there after so much time she sent me a few photographs mostly proof of life whilst they're uh, they're waiting for me to do something about the old hostage situation and of course you know as i said i deeply ignore requests like that from producers i have sort of gathered up what money i could mostly from monopoly boxes that I've sort of scattered around, because as we know, woodland folks, uh, mostly squirrels, badgers, and as such, they love a good game of Monopoly. So there you go. So, you know, gathered some of that, uh, stuff that in my ears, should have sent it, didn't, and uh, wore my bear suit. So yeah, most of the neighbourhood think I'm bear that lives in this uh, treehouse. A bear in a treehouse, that's what they think. But yeah, no, all is fine there. What else has been happening? Well, the trial's still going on, and I'd like to say thank you for everyone who stayed by the last episode, where I did my two-hour opinion piece on all of that. Um, It's kind of a fascinating situation, all of this stuff, and I think, you know, as far as the subject matter of the trial itself, it's quite deep, it's quite heavy some levity to it it's not all serious there's a lot of silliness and testimony and stuff like this that people can't help but laugh at there's also random audience members because you know in trials you have an audience as well as the jury and everyone else there's sort of allocated seats usually it's quite boring it's usually there for either members of families that are in the trial or it's kind of reserved for like students or reporters or whatever In this one, it's been kind of like a rock tour where you've had sort of fans, super fans, interrupting the trial and being lunatics and stuff, uh, being escorted out quite a lot. Uh, (laughs) It's it's a strange, strange days. Um, But yeah, I've still been watching that, but I'll spare you until the whole thing's over and then I'll, I'll go back to it, as I've said. So... You know, like, oh, yeah, a a few footnotes I should have said because in what I was saying, I I forgot one of the key witnesses to this, who was Raquel Rocky Pennington's other half, and that's a guy called Josh Drew, not Josh Dunn. Not sure why I called him Josh Dunn. His testimony has come out, and that was an interesting one. Again, I won't bore you with it, but it's Josh Drew. So I apologize to Mr. Drew if he was listening to this, uh, that's his name. But yeah, it's, it, it, the whole thing's uh, crazy. What, one thing that's happened that I've been very intrigued by is there's a lot of legal sort of advisors and analysts on YouTube dubbed LawTube because of this kind of pseudo-community of attorneys on YouTube that kind of process trials and explain the legality of stuff. And in this trial, I've kind of watched... The in-court stuff, the eight-hour stream, and then bouncing off that, I've gone to an analysis from a former district attorney, deputy district attorney, offices in California somewhere, a lady by the name of Emily D. Baker, and she's extremely good at breaking this stuff down and being fair and professional with her opinions. So very popular, and she's had a few associations within the Lawtube kind of community who have actually been in the trial studying the jury because it's the wall that we don't get to see because juries have to be anonymous, right, for obvious reasons. And so it's been interesting. It's been interesting to see how it's blooming. It's kind of become this super real-time popular thing where the world is finding trends in lawyers, That's kind of a scary thought, do you not think? That we're all looking at lawyers like (laughs) some kind of superhero right now. I think it's fascinating. I think Full Weight, they've done a really good job in this trial to make law quite appealing, actually. I think Better Call Saul does a good job of that, too. A lot of courtroom dramas do, to be fair. But, um, yeah, that's been fascinating to see the analysis on that. So that's where the trial is. We're, We're in it this week, but again as it ends on Friday, in theory, hopefully, I'll be able to give you my thoughts and a wrap-up of all of that next time around. And of course, we'll see what the verdict is, and I'll mention that, obviously. So I'm sticking with it. I don't suggest everyone does, unless you've got more time than you really want on your hands. Uh, (laughs) I have that, obviously. Uh, I'm produceless, so I'm just run-of-the-mill crazy artist guy. Uh, talking nonsense dressed as a bear so there you go um oh yeah what else has happened so separate from the trial because you get to that weekend bit the reason that i'm delayed usually we go into recording this uh usually every sunday we record it and gives us time to edit and it goes out to the masses and stuff like this this time I was meant to do it on Sunday, but I had an interruption because it's our favorite Unicorn Slayer. It was National Unicorn Slayer Day, you see. It was his birthday. He is now 360 years old, looking good for it. But of course, Unicorn Slayers live till, you know, at least they're 10,000. So he's quite a whippersnapper as far as Unicorn Slayers go. But that was a fun time. We, we finalized the Premier League. And so, as part of his birthday, it fell on that. And, of course, my team was playing his team, Liverpool versus Wolverhampton Wanderers. And, yeah, that was drama personified because we went to a place in Birmingham It's called the Walkabout Bar. And it's, it's kind of a nation chain of these theme bars. And it's meant to be Australian-themed. I'm not sure why it's Australian-themed. It doesn't look... In any way, Australian theme. When you walk in there, there's no kangaroos, um, there's no didgeridoos, there's no crocodile Dundies, and there's no corkettes. and there's no Main 4x. And as soon as you talk Australian, you eventually become Australian. There's none of that. So we were there. Um, it was an. It was quite a fascinating place to watch the games because it's one of these bars that's kind of. It's fairly big and it's just littered with all these flat screens, a bit like sports bars in the USA. And it was playing every game that you can imagine. So the whole Premier League final, the final day, had all the fixtures, right? So everyone in that bar was from a pocket of different support groups for different teams around the UK. So you get, like, chance when one team was doing well from one of the games that doesn't have so much precedence but to set this up for the Americans and international audience who probably don't know between Liverpool and Man City it was so tight that we we would have won it by a point or they would have won it by a point bearing on results so if we'd have drawn and they'd have won they'd have cleared it if they'd have drawn and we'd have won it would have tied the Premier League but Man City would have won on goal difference because that's how it works If we'd have won and they'd have lost, we would have won the Premier League, which no one really expected us to do. But we did win, even though we went 1-0 down very early on. And Man City, who were getting absolutely destroyed by Aston Villa, a local club in Birmingham, were storming it. And the manager at Aston Villa is a Liverpool legend, Stephen Gerrard. So it's been really crazy, emotional. And we wanted Stevie G to kind of do his best. People in LA may or may not recognize that name because he used to play for LA Galaxy. But Steven Gerrard is, you know, he's he's been manager of Aston Villa for six months, which I still can't get my head around. It's very weird <laughs> for a Liverpool supporter to see him in Birmingham. It's a good thing. I do think he's been stalking me because, uh, you know, he, he went to LA kind of at the time I was leaving LA uh, I get back here and he follow me to Birmingham. So obviously he's, he's stalking me, uh, Stephen Gerrard. I'd love to drag him in on the podcast. We'll wait and see if that ever happens. But Villa played the best, I think, they've played all season against Man City, who have had an incredible run. They're one heck of a team. Uh, I mean, the two of us, like, between Liverpool and them, that we would t- at least 20 points, if not more. I can't remember. Uh, (laughs) the the details I've actually tried to forget if I'm honest but it was so tight we were 20 points clear of anyone behind us in the league so the top two spots were like clear winners one of us was going to win and it went down to the wire it was really exciting I don't know if this happens often and frequently it's happened within our two clubs twice now in the last three years so it's incredible to see this it's like a true rivalry you know And it's also local areas. Manchester's situated quite close to Liverpool. Our biggest rivals historically are United, but City are their kind of new blood and have arguably one of, if not the best manager in the world, with Jurgen Klopp being the arguable best manager in the world. So it's just amazing, right? So it was thrilling. It was awesome. The results, uh, I wished Villa had won. I really do, because I think they were just far better. They broke down the team. They were so gallant. It was kind of like watching Japan in the World Cup, you know, where Japan did everything they could and we were just amazed because they're in the semi-finals or whatever. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of heart and then you get this result going against you in the last sort of 20 minutes a game or whatever. And you feel for them. Uh, It was a far better game to watch as well, the Villa-Man City game than the Liverpool-Wolverhampton game was. It was a far better watch. I can say that because I was... One of my eyes was on our game and one of my eyes was on their game the whole day. So just interesting stuff. And we come out of that. uh, Liverpool can't complain because we got a Champions League final, which is the best teams in Europe going against each other. We got to the final of that. And we've also won the two domestic cups. So we could have made a total history package, winning everything, doing a full sweep in one season. But I think we should never see what we've done as nothing but spectacular it's been a heck of a season for us and i say this exclusively to the people of liverpool because we won the league during the pandemic and there was no usually when you win something that big and it took 30 years for us to win uh the premier league so there usually is like this kind of street party where this bus goes around the city you know and it's a way for the club to reach out to all supporters it's insane they've done it before uh, when we won the champions league and it's just incredible epic feeling it's a really interesting cultural thing it matters so much to people here it's not like fickle support that you get in other sports you know this is like die hard support going through generations with a 200 plus year old history attached to it and Saying we missed the chance for this kind of first time ever since the Premier League conception that we won it. We used to be one of the top teams uh, winning the league, almost like serial winners. And when the Premier League was constructed, it was a lot more commercial. We hadn't won it since the beginning of the 90s, you know. So for this to happen in the pandemic, there was no street party. No one could celebrate. They did in closed ways, you know. There was all of these scenes of people in apartments in Liverpool, like basically singing through their windows at each other or whatever. But we couldn't celebrate it. And so for this season to be the answer to that, it's it's just going to be amazing. And I feel like there's a lot of this kind of old feeling of happiness coming out around the world in small pockets. So this is one of those occasions that's going to mean a lot to a lot of people. So yeah, really excited by that got a Queen's Jubilee coming up, that's a huge deal too, you know, she's uh, going to have a massive bouncing castle, uh, basically what they do is they've got this like replica, Buckingham Palace bouncing castle, right, and they set that up in Hyde Park, uh, loads of balls, you know, like the kind of ball pits that you go in, loads of them, uh, loads of water pistols and stuff, and the Queen comes out, she'll bring out her favourite rally car, that's what she drives to these events she usually does this uh, incredible kind of fast and furious promo reel you know she does all her own stunts our queen so she's pretty amazing um we've all asked god to save her so many times that she can do it you know she's protected and so the jubilee is happening it's gonna be awesome yeah steel drum band from jamaica probably play the national anthem you know uh, it's gonna be good fun uh, a lot of uh, jerk chicken, I'd imagine, in the old garden party, though. But yeah, she's just a big fan of uh, massive bouncing castles, ball pits, and water pistols. I think there's a paintball thing too, but she won't get involved in that because she's too old now, you know? So that's down to Charles, who's been taking over duties recently, bit by bit, which is super interesting and strange to see. We've had a queen for so long, I'm not sure if anyone can adjust to a king. We'll see. But man, it's, uh, it's all exciting stuff, especially from the UK perspective. We never really talk about that here. But if, you know, you've got these celebrations of Liverpool in Liverpool, that'll be like almost like the Beatles have come back, you know? It's going to be a huge deal over there. Everton survived relegation. They could have been demoted to the league below, the Premier League. And they survived skin of the teeth. It could have been a perfect season for a Liverpool fan because there's a massive rivalry between Liverpool and Everton. Anyway, so that's all exciting. I, I think the Trump, the, the Trump... See, I did a Trump-Freudian slip there, the Donald Trump. I think the Johnny Depp trial, which I've kind of abbreviated to Trump, which is bad, bad, bad thing to abbreviate, to apologise. The Trump trial, no. The Johnny Depp trial... You can see how that happens, right? When you say Johnny Depp trial and it becomes TREP, the TREP trial. Yeah, anyway, the Johnny Depp trial is basically because of, you know, the trial itself is what it is. It's, it's, it's a very intensely, um, oh, you know, boring with levity, uh, depressing with levity. It's, it's a hard thing to get through. But like I said, when I mentioned Emily D. Baker and the analysis and then the legal commentators on YouTube, it's created this really cool community. It's it's one of these classic things. It's almost like lawyers are getting this kind of golden touch of a sort of celebrity chef or a kind of rock and roll dust stuff for these guys who are very much academics, you know. It's been interesting to see because so many people in the world right now are rallying into the support of this legal community to try and understand this trial. And there's so many people talking and discussing it, especially in America. It's like, again, it's it's mostly American commentary, but it's also, and it should be because it's tried out there, but it's, there's global questions going through this channel and stuff uh, in real time. It's really exciting to see it. It is because it's it's kind of like, I know I feel like so many people especially young people and young adults who are trying to see their options in life and they've only had this kind of gloomy sort of three year lockdown or whatever and all of this political nonsense that we're still living in where all politics seems to be crazy right now it's obscene how much single reporting has been you know it's like you can't watch the news media or anything without feeling like you should never leave your house or if you do leave your house, you do one of those bubbles, you know, that you usually walk on water in, you know, one of those huge, what I call Jesus bubbles because he walked on water too, uh, one of them. Uh, you, you just want to live in that. And it, it's, you know, it's it's depressing. So when you see this levity happening and this rallying of people who are genuinely wanting to find stuff out and genuinely asking decent questions and showing no real tribal side or nature, it kind of opposes this belief that we're told routinely on every single social podcast or commentary or news article or whatever, that we're in tribes. I've never believed that we are. I don't think the tribal mentality really is as big a deal as it's being sold. I think that most of it's a group of crazy that sort of you know floats to the surface of any single political issue or anything. You always get the most extreme rising to the top because they've got the loudest voice. And it's always channeled, but it's not a reflection on the general public. And I think something that's really positive is when you see what the general public think, and they're coming out with questions and answers and stuff like this. Regarding something like the DEP trial, it's actually very positive. It's, uh, it's awesome to see it. I do still believe deeply that most of us, are critical thinkers and a lot of young people, in my experience, my personal experience, young people around the world, especially the USA, UK, but definitely even in Asia, Japan and Hong Kong, when we were there, we noticed it. There's a lot more intelligence going on. You know, a lot of people have this kind of almost humorous cynicism, and you should because life goes on and no one should really determine if it's good or bad or whatever, that you're living. You should decide that yourself. But there's more positives and negatives, I think, and that's been consistent. And hopefully now we're having positive signs in the UK where all of this pandemic stuff has moved away quite drastically. You know, I've been doing my shopping for the first time in four years without wearing a mask, which is weird. Obviously, if you're a criminal and you're trying to rob a bank, uh, you still need a mask because you don't really want to throw your face to all the CCTV and stuff. Just a tip, if you're a bank robber out there. Um, but yeah, just doing shopping with masks and stuff, it was getting depressing. And actually going out to the city, and it being normal, it's quite weird, because in the back of your head, you're kind of like, there's a sort of partition of guilt, you know, should I do this? Should I, <laughs> should I still be wearing my beekeeper's outfit? Uh, my hazmat suit, you know? Or go out my Jesus bubble? There's a bit of that, but I think over time you're seeing a vastly happier world coming out of this. And we need that kind of report. We need that kind of un- understanding because we're always focused on the crazy sort of extremes going to the top. Like I said, they always float to the surface. We're not seeing all of the cool stuff that's happening. And there is a lot of cool stuff. So hopefully that gives you a bit of positivity. So in between the trial And literally over the weekend, actually, a lot of crazy stuff happened this weekend. One of the things that I saw was Finland and Sweden joining NATO. And that was something that you you really can wrap that up as a story in like 20 20 seconds or something. I saw it first on BBC, um, just the headlines on Google or whatever, saying that they were meeting with Boris Johnson, uh, probably having a party uh, in Downing Street. You know, that's a common thing that happens these days. And then within a week, they're in America. You know, Joe Biden sort of introduces the two nations, kind of screws up the the names, got through it all. But it did feel a bit like a closing statement in a a trial, weirdly, where his speech went on and on and on and recircled points and stuff like this. I'm saying this with uh, all due respect to my folks and friends and everything in America. You know, it's just... I just think politics here and in America kind of weirdly synchronized to be this old school vibe that we never really wanted again. You know, everyone's reading messages or auto cues or whatever. And it's funny just to go back to the trial for a second because they were saying how Johnny Depp's cognitive state was it was one of the things that came up in this week's testimonies. His cognitive state has decreased so much that he's got an earpiece feeding him lines, even though his lawyers say that it's actually feeding music so he gets inspired for his lines or whatever. Uh, Who knows? Neither of us are there present. If you do have an earpiece in Hollywood right now, I don't think that's controversial at all. There's loads of bands that have help on stage because it's basically you've got so much going on in your head you do need a bit of help at times. And as I said last time, we did the analog version. I did myself, I'll say this in confession, when we made Kin, I had a six-page monologue to deliver and I had all of my bullet notes on my phone. I'd done like a text format and I keep referring to it in the scene because, you know, you can't constantly just channel all of this stuff. It doesn't really show that your cognitive ability is falling apart. It just shows you that you're trying to do the best you can given the restrictions you might have. And for me, I was directing it, doing the camera work, um, organising everything, dressing the set. You know, it's like a true indie film where you do 300 jobs yourself. And then I had to step up and do an acting job, you know? So it was to help me out, just to fill in the gaps. Because you want it streamlined. You want to do as little takes as you can and just get it done as best you can. And it also makes it more... Kind of realistic to have these point notes. So if Johnny Depp was doing that in Pirates of Caribbean, it's probably because he had a psychotic relationship and he he wasn't in his right mind doing those films that he did within that duration. That's just a thought. But just the relevance of that with Biden is Biden is blatantly just living off auto cues. You can tell because he trips over what he's saying, and it's like this presentation of a president that has multiple signs of cognitive issues and we're just bated breath because I'll tell you this as personal as I can really what we hope for is America has this kind of democracy and powerhouse in its politics of real example of great government where it's a very professional government and it's all work and fun on cylinders and that the president himself is very relatable or herself we do want a female president. I keep wanting Tulsi Gabbard. I keep saying this uh, to me and the voices. They know it. But I wish Tulsi Gabbard had a fair shot because I think she'd be amazing. Um, I really do. You kind of need someone from Hawaii, you know, to represent. Because Hawaii is, you could almost argue a subculture. Well, you don't have to argue it. It is a total subculture. But it's that Pacific sort of coast thing where it's like uh, almost like Samoan Islands and stuff. And that'd be great to see a Samoan president, or a uh, Puerto Rican president, or a Latino president, or whatever. Just you, you need something that kind of incorporates the ethnicity section of America. Obama was that as well, and we all saw a very vibrant America in that time. You know, it, it doesn't matter about the governance; it doesn't matter about the politics. It's it's the public image. It was so good to see that because I think. And I've always thought the real representation of America is is within its ethnicities. And so we're all hoping that we get a genuinely professional government from the USA because I think it changes the global political structure in democracies. I think every democratic nation looks at the USA like it's an example. And if it's not good, everything falls apart. You can sort of see the pattern. Like Trump was there talking about nationalism, right? And so we then get Boris Johnson, who's, you could say, a similar thing. But Boris Johnson's whole thing is he's trying to be kind of serving the public in the way he thinks the public want him to serve. So he's a bit more socialist almost in what he does. And yet I think everything changes on a dime and he has no idea who the nation he represents actually are or is. He doesn't really know the everyman here in any sense. Because we sort of coach our prime ministers from Eton College, which is like a royal linked college. It's where the royal family, like especially William and Harry, did all of their schooling and stuff. It's sort of this elite situation. And I can't quite get my head around how that represents the UK. We do need people to represent the nation, I think, that knows the nation rather than has been sort of siphoned to one side in this bubble and as i said like even if you're a massive trump supporter and you believe trump was this kind of like everyman you forget he was a billionaire that was totally separated from the everyman he was an elite it's almost like voting in a guy from wall street donald trump essentially and there's nothing wrong with that he had a very awesome charisma you know it it was like total flip side of obama let's be honest But I can understand why there'd be people drawn to the charisma of a guy that for most of his life was a screen personality on The Apprentice and such. And also in Trump's fairness, I think even from the early stages of his career, he always said like, you know, he could see himself in a presidential role. And if he was there, he'd do all of this stuff to kind of take the power back to the people but it all seems like a promo because what really happened wasn't far dissimilar from what's been happening with Biden. A lot of the policies are kind of decided for the presidency, so it is what it is. I definitely know there's an era coming where politics globally should have this reform, and we should start thinking geopolitically, uh, nation to nation. Stop having these reasons to fight each other and stuff. That's a utopian construct, but I do think it's coming and. I really hope someone from Hawaii can go in just because I think they'd be way more centered because they they know what raw power of nature looks like. They know what the the needs of people in turbulent situations look like. I mean, just remember all the volcanic activity in Hawaii and stuff, not to mention ballistic missile threats and (laughs) the accidental, the guy who slept on the old emergency button and pressed it, that old story. Yeah, you kind of feel like it could be a better situation if someone like that led because I do think it would have an impact. It would have a snowballing impact. It's the kind of stuff you see in female sport, like when women in sport become relevant, like Ronda Rousey in UFC, was so marketable when she was fighting that every sport started to have more onus on their female perspective of it, which is so overdue. I mean, so overdue. We're in this time now where a lot of us, including myself, don't really realize how tough it was for gender equality back in the day, like suffrage and all this stuff. It seems alien to us. It's kind of like civil rights, if I'm honest. Civil rights feel alien, being fat from UK. I've grown up around multi-nation people. In my lifetime, it's never been too extreme. I know it has happened, in my lifetime, there's been cases where people I know who are from multi-ethnicities who have had a tough time. But um, it's nothing incomparable uh, to USA and the US issue of seeing ethnicity and multi and stuff like this. It's so crazy to see all of this stuff. And I just think in our lifetime, if we can get into this kind of bit where America was and it's starting to become almost like what I think the UK looked like in the nineties where there's this healthy kind of degree of cynicism and there's this healthy questioning and there's this huge kind of rush for something more positive. Hopefully if America tips a balance on that, and I think it's starting to, we get a very positive Western hemisphere theoretically. And then we all have to try and help Australia catch up. No offense, Australia, but you know, Australia's kind of like way hey, going through some stuff. So we're all going through stuff, really. But yeah, so all of that's happened. All of that's happening. I do hope that there's, I think the people, I, I deeply believe the people are the, the, the way that everything becomes happy again right? So if we all go out tomorrow dressed as bears, find the old mascot suit that's living in the forest like I did, go out there, dressed as a bear, stick Monopoly money in your ears and have a good time. Because honestly, it's all too short. And there are positives, uh, way more positives than negatives in everyday life, I believe, I still believe. So that's good. Yeah. So all of this is kind of what's been circling. Uh, the Finland NATO, Sweden NATO, I think is... Helped, uh, you know, uh, sort of officiate the Eurovision Song Contest better. I think the European nations are all um, rallying together in that regard. It's funny how we separate from Brexit here in the UK, but then we cling to things like (laughs) the UN, NATO, and other organizations that still put us in in the European conversation, you know? Anyway... It's all fun. I do think this chapter is shutting and I think that we're walking into a better world. I will say this though. The minute we kind of don't mention COVID, we're starting to mention this thing called monkeypox, right? And they're making this deal of like 20 people have had it in the UK and then, oh, it's going to be a real big problem. I don't think 20 people gives me an instant panic attack. I think there is this constant sort of flow of panic I do believe that it's probably just people eating cocoa pops too much. I think that uh you know during this uh this this time, there's been a rise in cocoa pops uh being ordered, and there's such very good cereal. If you don't know what it is, it's basically rice crispers with chocolate on it, so uh yeah, I think people have been eating too many of them developing this uh situation uh i I don't take it too seriously at this point. I'm sure some of you are around the world are worried, especially when you're traveling. It's concerning that something like that exists. We should keep it in mind, but I don't feel like we need to keep panicking and shutting down borders and stuff like this. If we keep doing that, I just I think it becomes a very um, barren world. It's almost it almost feels like someone just doesn't want us to hang out with each other anymore. You know, it feels like the governments around the world are becoming that kid in the school who's who's jealous because we all have friends and the life and stuff and they don't. So they want to ruin ours. I don't know. It just feels a bit mad. But anyway, that's something that's just in the background right now. And hopefully it won't do the same thing. And we have another, you know, lockdown situation over monkeypox. Who knows? My advice is stop eating Cocoa Pops for a bit. Try something else. Do uh, cornflakes cornflakes for a bit, you know. and you can all get Chicken Pucks. Ah, Yeah. Well, that's more treatable. We know more about that. So anyway, the other stuff I've been doing this, well, I've been watching a lot of stuff because when a trial ends, you start watching TV again. And what's interesting to me is if I'm watching a film now, because I've been watching an eight hour trial or whatever, it just, it's gone really fast. It's like a film feels like a short because you've been used to watching stuff for so long that you have this kind of break with someone that's two hours long and it just feels like it's like a short film or a trailer or something. It, it, it goes really fast. It's, it's kind of a weird mental training, actually. So I've watched tons of stuff in turbo speed um, over the past couple of weeks. I watched the Mike Myers Pentaveret series, which if you're not into Mike Myers films like Austin Powers, Wayne's World, this kind of stuff, Saturday Night Live, which is where he started all of the sketch stuff. Uh, So Mad Max Murder, which is a lesser known thing he did, but I was obsessed with that when I was a kid. I thought it was probably the best thing he ever did. It was a weird cult film, to be honest, but he's done a series on Netflix where he's playing seven characters kind of back to back, which you'd always seen in Austin Powers. He covered a lot of characters. He's in that same sort of vein as Eddie Murphy. He does loads of characters or tyler perry does loads of characters or martin lawrence did loads of characters you know mike myers this whole thing is the talent he has it's almost like he comes with his own prosthetic artist because the talent he has to do these characters is absolutely incredible he's kind of like the real life version of an animation show in pentavra he covers sort of like a rupert murdoch character it's blatantly based on him a legendary music producer who actually existed, an old English guy who it's very hard to tell, it's Mike Myers, that's probably the best escape one, Uh, a Russian kind of, what I can only say is a nod back to the old Russian philosophers, you know, which they did have, and there's some profound philosophy come out of Russia, actually, which no one talks about, but there is. So yeah, like, it's a series that I think you should never take any of it seriously. It's quite a nod to a lot of English-themed stuff. There's definitely a nod to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all of the sequels to that. There's definitely a nod to Monty Python. There's definitely a nod to Dr. Strangelove. All of these are kind of centered around British comedy. Uh, Dr. Strangelove's Stanley Kubrick movie, but it had Peter Sellers in it, who's a notoriously famous British comedian uh, actor. Anyway, it's it's interesting to watch. It's great if you're a big fan of the Austin Powers films. It's kind of like a nod back to that. A lot more personal to Mike Myers, I feel. Like, there's a lot more Canadian-centric stuff in it. But that was an interesting watch. Enjoyed that. It's, uh, it's not the best. It's not the worst. It's somewhat dated, I would say, as far as humor is concerned. Because we've all grown up to rapid-fire stuff like Bill Burr and things like this. It's... You know, it's uh, it's kind of a nod back to the shades of Austin Powers, which for many of us is a time machine back to the 90s, you know, or 2000s, I forget. I think it was early 2000s. I don't know. It was a while ago. Then you've got, like, someone else that I watched on the backbone of that, uh, which was Shadow and Bone, another Netflix series. And again, don't mean to promote Netflix. It's just what I stream currently, probably because a lot of Korean stuff on it that I need to research for my big next project that i'm keeping under lock and key which is also a series on netflix lock and key but um yeah so shadow and bone interesting series set it up for the world it's a dystopian is sort of sense alternative world total fantasy not based on anything in our normal day-to-days british cast which i always think sal's fantasy the best not gonna lie makes the most sense, we're all living it here in the UK, we uh, constantly avoid dragons, and we all live in castles, except for me, I live in a treehouse, I wasn't cool enough to live in a castle, Uh, well, truth is, they threw me out, but basically, it's an interesting sort of steampunky, Victorian-esque, fantasy dystopian thing that's got major overtones of like Russia, or uh, Eastern European kind of backbone to it. It's an interesting series. I think it's based on a book, or a series of books. But as far as I can deduce, without ruining it, because I don't believe in spoilers, it's basically about a wizard who's also a, well, you could argue a scientist, because in this kind of argument, like The Sorcerer's Apprentice with Nicolas Cage, they kind of make magic and science the same thing, which, of course, it is, as we all know. Um, Yeah it's it's wizardry this science so he's going skateboarding in a forest is from best i can tell this this wizard who's kind of a dark wizard and you can always tell he's a dark wizard because he's wearing like you know black clothes and he's skateboarding down into this forest and he uh, he has this secret formula that he's created from reading books and then eating the books like absorbing the books because he's a wizard. He doesn't have to just read. He doesn't read the book. He's really good at multitasking. So he's he's playing on his switch while skateboarding, and he flicks on the book which is loaded up on his switch, and he absorbs all the text. that goes into him, and then basically releases this massive sort of fog, mist, tempesty kind of cloud, which is basically the equivalent of what Trump was trying to do on the border of the USA of Mexico. You know build a wall only it's wizard wall so it's not a solid wall it's a mysterious sort of foggy stuff with things that'll kill you in it wall and uh because of that he divides this country and it creates a load of civil unrest so it's kind of a political sentiment and it's kind of a fantasy with a lot of things that make me think eastern europe going on in it so it's interesting it's different. For sure. And I think it's going to have a second series. I think they were postponed because of this pandemic situation, which we're hearing too much of and quite a lot in the world. But I think the second series will come out soon, I guess, which will be good because it'll give more context. Kind of leaves you on a cliffhanger to a degree. Not really. It's not a a frustrating cliffhanger. It's just a, "Hmm, okay, (laughs) there'll be more of this maybe or not. But that was good. That was interesting to watch. Definitely good for teenagers who want something a bit different or young adults. It's very Game of Thrones light in that regard. It's pretty good. And it's kind of in the vein of Stranger Things I'd imagine. Monsters and the such but never too scary or too jumpy or too freaky or anything like this. It's just good. It's just good fun. Neutral. uh, Cleverly done. Well acted. Yeah, all right, not a bad series. I uh, watched Ryan Reynolds did the Adam Project. I liked it so much. I twi- Well, I got our producer Winifred, uh, who's currently being held hostage in Hong Kong. Uh, I got her to uh, tweet out to Ryan Reynolds uh, using my quotes, if you will, from what I thought about that film, and he liked it, which is nice to know. So Ryan, I know you're listening, because you would, uh, of course. Big fan of mine, I understand that. Big fan of yours too, my friend. Uh, Yeah, good job. The Adam Project's a very good comedy, sci-fi, everything you want, really. It's very, very good. Very surprisingly good. And I think he's very proud of it because there's a lot of personal overtones in it. Really good to see Mark Ruffalo with him. It's almost like the Hulk and Deadpool in a movie. and We all want to see that. So yeah, no, it's good. I enjoyed it. Thoroughly good. Won't ruin it. Kind of like if Big... The Tom Hanks movie married to the idea of uh, closing cards of the third kind. Only nothing like either of them. That's basically how you break it down. Speaking of Ryan Reynolds, also watched Six Underground, which I'll be honest, I've avoided watching for the longest time. Mostly because I don't think the trailer sells it well. But when I did watch it, the first 15 minutes of that film basically was the most action-packed and coordinated and funny over-the-top car chase I've ever seen in my life. It made Fast and the Furious look positively bland. So Six Underground is actually worth it. The actual whole thing is quite clever. The nuances, the quick cuts, it's actually a leap back to form for Michael Bay, who I think the last great film, I recall him doing was Bad Boys, the original Bad Boys, which is a classic. Yeah, so that was fun and then i've watched a japanese series of films called the fable and it's sometimes weird when you do this podcast because sometimes things you say here you kind of don't know if they inspire people because we don't get to see our audience physically which is kind of a weird thing but we know you're out there we definitely know you're out there because of the amount of uh uh, messages that we never receive from any of you um And that's great, thanks, because that just means you're a real audience as opposed to an audience that wants to destroy us. So thank you very much for being a real audience. But yeah, it's interesting to me because stuff I say on this show comes back, not to haunt me, but almost comes back to be proven in a weird way or has been uh, changed. Almost like I'll put something out in the world and then the weeks go by and the world changes to create a better version of something i'll give you an example i said japan is known for being subtle and low budget in its films and stuff like this and it is by and large it takes a lot less and does a lot more with it and fable the two fable films that are on netflix dubbed the assassin doesn't kill is actually as a two-piece film because you should watch them back-to-back kind of a deal It's really ambitious. It's actually really, really good. The fight sequences especially are actually jaw-dropping. There's a whole different kind of way to present a fight sequence or a series of action that they have that's really quirky. It's worth watching it just for that. It's sort of like a nod back to Jackie Chan in Hong Kong Jackie Chan days where he was doing a lot more kind of precocious stuff that that you would never be able to clear on insurance here in the West. (laughs) literally jumping from a balcony to a balcony in Hong Kong, you know, these huge monolithic skyscrapers. And uh, it's kind of a flashback to that. The first film is one that establishes it. It's kind of more about the characters and why they're all there and what's going on. So it feels a bit more restricted. But the second film, it gets into the mythology a lot more and it's a lot more fun. It's worth a watch. I was really blown away by how they've stepped up. I don't think I've ever seen action coming out of Japan that good, which is saying a lot because they're very known for samurai films and, you know, stuff like this. It's very enjoyable if you like action and you like a bit of goofiness. If you're a video game fan and you know the Yakuza series of video games made by Sega, developed by Sega. If you're from Asia, you'll know it as Ryuga Gatoku. Which is the Japanese title for it. It's kind of got the same vein. There's, there's severity to it. There's a bit of serious drama attached to it. But there's a lot of humour as well. And it's really quirky and strange humour. But that's why we love Japan. It's just very good. I was very, very blown away by that. Without much expectation on it. And I really enjoyed it. So that's the kind of stuff you want to be watching, I guess. Whilst, and if you have streaming, because there's so many people now switching off streaming because they just can't afford it. Uh, (laughs) the Price of living is rocketing and I shouldn't laugh, but that's why I live in a forest, you see. So I don't have to apply to the normal rules. I don't have a lot of stuff. I watch stuff tends to be projected through... Our neighbour, who's an owl basically, so an owl that lives next to us, and they have a projector, an old cinema projector, and they've wired it up to a, what I I guess it's a phone, or a whatever owls use as a device, I suppose. And so they project what they're watching into our treehouse through the window that we've got, just one window, and so that's how I get to see this stuff. So I don't get to choose it, which might might be why it seems so kind of random. I just get to uh, see what they're watching. So, you know, you got the scene, treehouse, me in a bear outfit, trying to sleep, propped against a wall, no bed or nothing like that. And then this projected comes in and, you know, we get to watch it. So that's good. Yeah. So I will be returning to the trial post-haste. And with the Josh Drew thing, I felt kind of bad about that. There's a lot of key points in this trial and a lot of things you can comment on. That basically get addressed or whatever. I haven't changed any of my opinions. I still think it's blatantly a clear-cut case. Of course, there's a lot of legality that could block what we all think is a clear-cut case. I think I should stand by what I say about Amber Heard. I think for her mental well-being and also people around her, as well as speculations on what she could do in the future. I, I had this thought recently through the trial that she should probably just have a career in painting and art because she seems very, very keen on painting and art and it kind of can displace her from the the attention that Hollywood is going to probably destroy her brain with. I don't think she's healthy enough for the industry, but that remains to be seen. And I'm not trying to say that to be harsh. I'm saying that out of genuine concern. There are people on this planet that I don't think should ever have that kind of celebrity. I just think it ruins who they are, who they could be, all their potential. I'm not saying it wouldn't be fair. Like if you've got talent in acting or you want to do it, give it a shot. But if it turns you into a, you know, if you're imbalanced and not really enjoying it, is it worth it? Really? I think this is one thing that I will always say, like, unless you have the curse of constantly doing it or a goal an ambition within experiences and life is about that, some series of events. If it works for you and it feels good and everything's great, then cool, carry on and do it. Go through the highs and the lows because it's part of the course, you know, if that's your lifestyle choice. But I just think in certain cases, it's, it's not a good lifestyle choice because it's sort of proven by the fact that you end up on your own in a room and no one really wants to talk to you, you know. Anyway, who knows? I was really happy in a weird way to see that because I've been looking at this in real time and Johnny Depp's just got an acting opportunity to work in France playing Louis the Fifteenth, I believe, in a French period movie because he's fluent in French. And that's hilarious to me when people knock his cognitive <laughs> ability and a guy can speak fluently in two languages. Uh, oh, man. I, I, I kind of, I think... One of the biggest things coming out of all of this for me is that this just... It, it's such a Hollywood thing. And I know last time I spent so much talking about Hollywood and stuff, but the lifestyle in Los Angeles classically in Hollywood and stuff like this is so different in comparison to any other stride of life. I mean, if you go there as a tourist and you're there for a couple of like weeks or whatever on a holiday and stuff like this, you'll see the surface the sheer surface of it but when you dig deep and you live it this kind of thing between Amber Heard and Johnny Depp might sound insane lavish crazy but we all know to a degree relatable I mean we can't really relate to like living in a penthouse or 24 homes and bouncing from house to house to house and then world tours and stuff that's not the everyday example of it but the kind of community they had within the penthouse And the neighbors and stuff. It makes me feel like I'm still there. You have that. If you've got like a tiny apartment. You're staying in a kind of motel. You know whatever. You have that experience. So it's very relatable. On those of us who've had time there. We all know. Kind of a group of people. That were this sort of toxic. Or where there's a bit of mystery. Or there's suddenly something controversial kicks off. It's kind of a run of the mill story. And without the context of that, I feel like it does feel crazy. So, you know, I'm, I'll I'll address it totally in closing. And uh, hopefully I'll get back to doing week by week. It's going to be tough because I've got different commitments here and there. And because I'm on my own, I've basically got to do too many jobs uh, wearing multiple hats now because uh, otherwise, you know, you can wake up one morning and your treehouse has been chopped down. So you got to do all of the work around to uh, keep where you're living safe and secure. and Do your own laundry, which is, for me, easy. I just throw all my clothes in the river and then it's collected by the badger at the end of the day because it flows down the river, you know? So you chuck all your soap on it and stuff like this and it's biodegradable before anyone has a problem, okay? It makes the sea better. Uh, it's better for the sea, what I use. It's mostly salt, to be honest. Uh, and you chuck all that on your clothes send it through the river the badger at the end sort of picks up all your clothes flips them over well there's badges on the way as well that poke it with sticks you know and then it gets to the end the final badger picks it up rinses it off chucks it in a wooden sort of bucket and then sends it back to here and you know for a small fee and um most of the fees here are you know uh, anything that you grow in your garden, so berries and nuts and stuff. A lot of them love a good uh, a good berry, so that's what we trade for. So it, it's kind of awesome living in this world, and hopefully, and I wish more people would uh, would get to live closer to nature, and then you wouldn't have all of these concerns about you know world prices steeply going up and stuff like this. More of us should be walking, more of us should be cycling. Maybe. Maybe that takes some some weight off your bills. I don't know. It's just a thought. I don't have the issue. I live in a forest, so you know, it is what it is. Saying that, I've just remembered one final thing that happened in this last gap of time and that's uh, the mighty Elon Musk again has uh, basically announced that he's going to, because Starlink has gone uh, global, uh, especially I think they launched in Brazil recently. He's using it to surveil the Amazon rainforest. And honestly, I think this one person, this one guy, is doing more than any of our international governments are doing. And it's incredible to see what he's doing. It's uh, it's great. It's almost like he's going through the checklist of what we're all worried about and he's trying to knock them all off. And I think, you know, fair play to the guy. It's It's incredible. We should all think like that, especially if we've got billions and trillions and zillions of money. Uh, we should all be doing these kind of good outreaches to stop people panicking who are out there suffering right now. Just a thought. We will be back. Me, the voices, the badgers, the squirrels, the pigeons and the magpies and the boss crow will be back in, I'd say just over a week, maybe a week, maybe a couple of days. I don't know, but we will be back soon and I will try and get us onto schedule after this week, because I've got a few commitments. Bear with me, as you have been. Thank you for listening to me ranting again, folks out there in the world. You stay safe, you see the positives, and you keep happy, because it's all too short. Unless you're a vampire, or, you know, immortal. And then it's, you know, it's forever. See you next time. Take care, everyone.